Hi, this is Dave Pryor for projectmanagement.com. We're getting ready for Agile 2017, and I've got somebody on the interview today that's going to be speaking at Agile 2017 in addition to a bunch of other stuff that we're going to talk about. But Laura Powers, thank you for taking time out of your... It's very early in the morning for you, so thank you for getting up so early. Oh, you're very welcome, Dave. It's always worth it to get up at Odark 100 to talk to you. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, you're probably also getting up because you have so many things going on. So I'm just going to run down the list really quick. Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about each one. So you're going to be before the Agile conference. You're teaching training from the back of the room classes. You're participating in the Women in Agile event. Two talks at the Agile conference, and we're going to talk about your talk in, that's coming up with the Scrum Gathering in Dublin as well. And you've had a career, slight career change as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're going to do a little bit of, of of things, you may as well do a bunch. Yeah, so so let maybe we can start out with RadTac. Uh, what's going on with that? You're, you're co-CEO now. I am co-CEO of the U.S. expansion of RadTac. Um, so I think one of the things that we're seeing in Agile these days, and it's a trend that's been going on for some time, is uh, the solutions often have to be global. And I was very happily a one-woman shop doing my little thing in my corner of Silicon Valley. And this opportunity came along to collaborate with RadTech to really provide consistent, amazing agile transformations that can be for a small startup or could be for a global organization. And I, they have an approach that really looks at how to make it work uh, and consistent across the geography. So I was missing being on a team, to be really honest. So I'm excited okay. to be doing something where I collaborate with people and uh, raise a little hell. Cool. All right. And that's you and Kim, yeah. correct? You're the co-CEOs. Okay. And you were just over in London where you were there for some very exciting things that happened, but you got through that okay. Oh, my gracious. Yes. There's never a dull moment when you're working with Kim Brainerd. That's all I can really say about that. Uh, and, you know, I, I really have to admi admire the resiliency of uh, the Londoners uh, because we were there for um, – actually, Kim was there for the terrorist attack, um, one of them, and I came in just afterwards. And the warmth and the personality and the humanity of London just shone through. So very awesome. happy to be part of that. Well, I'm glad you were okay. Yeah. Um, so, so for the folks that aren't familiar with training from the back of the room, you're doing a couple classes right before the conference. Can you can you give a quick plug to that? Oh, you bet. So Kim is actually leading this effort. She and I both are certified trainers of training from the back of the room. And if you've ever sat through either a presentation or a workshop that uh, you actually were wondering if you would still be alive by the end of the PowerPoint slides. Uh, training from the back of the room is for you. It takes a look at the brain science behind how we learn and basically turns the work, the classroom inside out so that it's interactive and it makes use of all the parts of your participants' brain so that they, A, learn, and then, B, retain whatever it is you're teaching. So it's much more interactive. And I, I just can't say enough about it in terms of uh, the potential for a single workshop to be life-changing for you and your career. So if you've not done training from the back of the room, I would heavily consider it. And it's, and it's transformed the way that the scrum trainings work as well. I mean, so many people have adopted that into their classes. It's pretty 
it's a great way to to shift things around if you don't want to sit there. I mean, I I always feel like I got really well rested from a lot of the trainings that I took because I slept through most of them. But <laughs> that's not an option this way, so that's good. Yeah, it's not an option this way, and and I think it makes the um, the life of the trainer so much richer as well because. Uh, it requires a higher level of competence because there's a certain degree of, I'm not quite sure how this is going to go because I'm giving the, the class some of the reins in terms of how this, this interactive um, section will work. Uh, yeah. That keeps it fresh, which I think is one of the issues in our industry is trainer burnout. And I think training from the back of the room is an antidote for that. Yeah, that is I, when you're doing the same show over and over and over again, you have to find ways to liven it up for your and, and make it risky for yourself. I think it's important. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about women in agile. I mean, that's one of the big things that's going on. It's been kind of happening at a bunch of events, a bunch of agile events. You're you're going to be involved with the one that's taking place as a sort of lead into the agile conference. Can you can you give some information about that or share some information about it? So agile 2017 starts. Uh, I think officially maybe the evening of Sunday, the 6th of yep. August, and then it goes into full um, speed uh, forward on Monday the 7th. So Sunday afternoon, I think like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, there's a, a session, an afternoon session that is scheduled for uh, women in Angel. And as I understand it, I didn't have a chance to attend it last year, but it's not limited just to women. It's for people who are interested in uh, how do we have more women participate in Angel. And there's some, there's a keynote, there's different pieces to the afternoon session. And one of the cool things that they're doing is work to promote uh, women who haven't spoken at conferences before getting started in that way. So they put out a call for uh, women to propose a seven minute quick talks, lightning talks. They, they left the format a little bit open so that uh, it wouldn't limit who might apply. And they were looking for uh, uh, speakers or people who wanted to speak, but who had maybe not had that opportunity yet. And they are pairing uh, the people that they chose with experienced speakers for mentoring ahead of that event on the 6th of August. So I have the privilege of working with Joanna Valsing out of Chicago, who is has an awesome talk about feedback loops and improvement and how um, diversity in general and gender and um, the specific is impacted when you talk about feedback and improvement. So she and I are having a ball just kibitzing on uh, how this whole conference game works so that next year we're going to see her hopefully on more than one uh, conference agenda. That's great. So you're encouraging them to to submit as well, which I think is wonderful because more the more new voices we can have at these conferences, the better. I mean, some folks are always great to to see, but it's it's nice to see lots of new ideas coming in as well. Absolutely. And speaking of new ideas, you're giving. Look at that segue; it's so smooth. <laughs> um, you're going to be giving two talks at the Agile Conference. You've got one on Wednesday at uh, 10:45, and that is the power of play, and then one about climate in an imperfect world on Thursday at 10:45. So. Can you can you talk a little bit about the play one first, and then I want to ask you some questions about climate before we get to the main topic about saying no. Um, Very cool. So what about play? So what about play? You know, um, I think I think a lot of this grew out of my love of training from the back of the room and my interest in the brain science behind uh, the things that we do in terms of teaching and training and coaching. 
And uh, I ran across a book a couple of years ago called Play by Stuart um, Brown. And he talks about how the opposite of work isn't play, but play is actually a integral part of really excellent work. And there's research now that's starting to indicate that one of the triggers for a team to tip into flow, if you will, you know, that state where you lose track of time and yeah. you're you know, super creative, you know, it's an individual um, state, but it can also be a team state. And play is one of the things that really promotes that. And so I was interested in it from that perspective and have been uh, enjoying different ways to share that with uh, like-minded people. And the talk that I'm going to do at Agile 2017 is about the eight, personalities of the eight play personalities that Stuart Brown talks about. And it's really an interesting thing because you kind of look at a scrum team and you think, well, if play is important, then I'm going to promote play. And then the natural tendency would be to promote play the way that you play, which it's another um, uh, lens into the question of diversity. Because as a kid, I read a lot. I rode my bicycle. I did certain things, but I bet Dave, you did other things. And <laughs> and if we were on the scrum team and we wanted more play, we want to do some different things. I, you know, you just strike me as somebody who probably collected frogs at some point in your career, as in your childhood. Not frogs, but other things. I'm just thinking. I'm thinking of this like in my skeptical project manager brain. Like, if you said it was time to play, I'd be like, fine. I'd go get a box of Legos, throw it in front of the team and say, play. And then I'd walk away <laughs> because I don't, I don't play. I got work to do. Like that's, and that is my natural response in any kind of situation. Somebody's like, let's play a game. I'm like, really? Come on. Do we, can we just work, please? Um, Interesting. So, so how did you play when you were a kid? What, when, when you could go off and spend Dave time and you got to pick what you, you could do, what would you do? I was really into set. So this is, I was into setting up and organizing stuff, but once that was done, I wasn't interested anymore. Like when it was time to actually do the playing, I was like, I'm out, I'm done. Like I just wanted to get it all ready. Okay. So, so even in that little conversation, I already know what your play personality is. You're a director. Think film director. Yeah. Yeah. You were the kid who organized the, event that you know the circus or the play or the whatever that all of the kids on the block did and you were the person who did that sort of thing makes sense you know when I look at your career now um you know you have incorporated your version of play into your work you're just not aware of it and so is this like situational leadership then well different play styles for different people yeah different play styles for different people so there's another play um style that's called kinesite and okay. k- k- kinetics and athlete is, are the, is smushed together. The idea is there are people for whom play means they need to be moving. And think about in your career, there's probably somebody you've worked with who when they had a great idea, they wanted to take a walk with you. Yes. Had to feedback. That's the kinesthete. Those people think stand-up is awesome because you're not sitting down and it's getting close to moving. If you right. have um, if you want to do something that involves play for kinesthete, you are looking for things that involve movement. You're not doing the Legos um, is, is not going to be their thing unless in that activity you design in something where there's some movement because you're okay. training from the back of the room movement, you know, Trump's sitting. Um, yeah. So another uh, a common uh, play personality is the creator. 
And it's very common on agile teams because think of, you know, writing software product development in general is a creative activity, right? Yeah. So if you wanted more play and you wanted to really make sure that you were covering that personality, that's where the Lego fit in. And I think that's why training with Lego activities with Lego is so popular in the agile communities. We've got a fair number of um, creators. Now, most people will resonate with two, at least two other personalities. So you might be a director, creator, or director, explorer, or something like that. Um, Okay. I was shocked at the number of um, folks, including a couple of very well-known CSTs, who are joker directors. And a joker is the funny joker person, and a director is what you described. And it just... It says a lot when you think about some of the leadership in our Agile community um, has that as their, their, the way that they play. <laughs> well, I, and I would assume that another side of this, too, is in terms of uh, a better sense of self. Um, you learn a lot about your own styles, and that can help you adjust when you're working with other people as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's also a call to action for people from a sustainable pace perspective because uh, a lot of adults have eliminated any activity that really plays to that side of their personality, plays to play, right? And there's research that indicates that your brain will age more slowly, you will live longer and have a richer life if you've got aspects of playing in what you do. So it doesn't huh. have to go back to collecting frogs if that's what you did when you were 11. But you might be a collector and you know have always wanted to collect either experiences or objects or something. And and that's something that you should have in your life. So, so that's my excuse for spending $20 in the comic book store every week then. Uh, I'll live uh, longer. Yep. I'm <laughs> all right. about you, Dave. Yes. I'm going to tell my wife. All right, cool. Now, you've got another talk on Thursday about um, the difference between culture and climate. And I'm really curious about this. Can you, can you, and, and without giving it all away, because we are going to talk about it while we're at the conference, but what's, what's the distinction there between the two? So uh, one of the things that I have been making a conscious effort to do in the last year is go to meetups and conferences where everybody isn't an agilist, just to get some diversity and see what kind of ideas I can bring back into my work. And I went to a conference here in uh, Northern California last year where there was a, a person who was, uh, had, uh, was speaking about culture and then he introduced this idea of climate and it was something new to me. And uh, the way he described it was, um, Culture is the way we do things around here. It's the very heavily embedded, slow to change aspect of um, of our work. Climate, he says, is much more like a micro bubble around a small group of people. And it's like what the weather is today in my little corner of this enterprise. And if you think on some of the toxic environments you probably uh, witnessed or worked in over your career, uh, you can probably think of some teams that were in their own little productive happy bubble in a overall kind of crazy, maybe toxic environment, you know? And this um, 
the speaker made the point that there's data that shows that 80% of an employee's engagement and happiness at work has a lot to do with their immediate supervisor and the people that they work with. And so an aha for me was we can talk about shifting corporate culture, but if we do focus on the team itself and the climate around the team, and that's something we have under our own control, we can drastically change the work experience and the engagement for people while maybe we're doing that big corporate enterprise cultural shift thing. And I think the thing that I love about this is it brings in that that sense of of responsibility back to the team, to the scrum master, the product owner, and to the leaders in that area of, hey, we get to choose, you know, our reaction to whatever's going on here. And we can kind of create our own microculture, if you will. Uh, And that can be something that is really uh, the difference between us, you know, having a great time and creating great value for our customers or not. And the cool thing is that's one of the ways then to shift a culture is you get a bunch of these micro bubbles um, for teams that are highly functional and and have great coping mechanisms. And all of a sudden you start seeing the overall culture start to shift. I think it would be really cool when we're at the conference, maybe if we have time, we can talk about um, like in the art of war, there's the idea of climate as well. And I would love to try to compare those two things and see what happens. Oh, cool. Um, So, 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 be ready. <laughs> I'm going to get all studied up on this. Um, awesome. But I, I think understanding the climate is, is, is definitely a really big deal. I like the, the local optimization thing of it. And I think the more we get into the soft stuff, that's, it's hopefully breaks people out of some of the dogmatic problems that we have with Agile. Yeah, absolutely. So can we talk about Dublin? Oh, yeah. All right. So this this was the reason I originally reached out was because I, I saw that you were giving this talk and I really want to ask you questions about it. So <laughs> I'm going to let you introduce the topic. So you're going to give a talk at the Scrum Gathering in Dublin and it's called? Say yes to no, the power of no and agile. And and what's the what's the basic premise of it? So the basic premise of this, so the, the root of this, I've been thinking about this topic for a long time and uh, it came to a head uh, for me this year because I'm coaching with um, a company that has a pretty awesome culture. Uh, and uh, what I have found myself constantly doing is asking, why can't we say no to this? And what I realized is that there, the idea of um, Agile really promotes in many ways us playing yes and a lot. So we're, we're just, we want to be the enablers and see the possibility and be open to change and, you know, negotiate, but it seems like the negotiations always, you know, end in a yes. So anyways, and I see the, um, the fallout from that kind of lopsided approach in a way. So I was thinking, okay, especially, you know, the root of this is the product owners and the backlog and, you know the sanity or insanity therein. So that was the genesis of, okay, so what is behind our um, challenges in saying no in Agile? And this talk just kind of took flight from there. I think there's probably a whole book that could be written about this because the more I dig, the more I come up with. So I've already got two whole lines of questions I want to ask, but I want to start out with the improv side of it. So 
so improv is a big deal, and I know it's something you're into as well. And yes, and is a big part of that culture. And one of my biggest struggles with it is I feel like I really want there to be yes and but like <laughs> <laughs> I need the no so badly that I can't because my fear is that like you're saying if we go full on yes and then everybody's saying yes to everything and the dumb ideas get promoted and the the people take on too much work and nobody feels like it's okay to say hey hold on a second like is that really the best thing we should do um, and I and I know that that's not the intention of yes and but I. I worry that that that's what happens anyway. I think that's uh, I think that that's uh, the shadow side. I think of the yes and movement, and it's something that needs some balance. And that certainly I, I'm imagining a very interactive uh, opening to that session where we really uh, explore just the physical. Um, I think endorphins that we get. Uh, the dopamine when we say yes and then what does it feel like when we say no and then kind of to talk through that because I think it, the roots are in nobody wants to be rejected and saying no uh, has an element of that in it and depending on who you're saying no to uh, it could be a career limiting move or at least we think it could be and you know part of this goes back to I think lean concepts because uh, the company that I'm working with right now, they have whip problems, but it's not whip problems just at the team level or the, um, the scrum of scrum levels. I'm talking whip problems at the corporate level of a publicly traded, you know, their name. Yeah. You probably use them every day kind of company because they can't say no to the good in order to focus on the great. And that's what I think we need to do. And we've got all the cliches about, you know, stop starting and start, you know, stopping, blah, blah, blah. And that requires us the, uh, the ability for us to say no. So this is one of the things that I struggle with in class all the time. And I, I've, I'm often almost at the point of just yelling at people. <laughs> like the company can say you have to do this or we're going to lose the client or whatever, whatever, whatever. And you know it's not physically possible to do what they're asking and you say yes anyway because you feel obligated to, which is literally the most irresponsible thing you could possibly do. You're putting your whole company at risk by agreeing to do something and setting an expectation you know can't be met because you feel like you have to. And I and I want to like shake people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's scary to say no. You're worried about your job. You're worried about disappointing people and all the other stuff that goes along with it. So, so in thinking through it, I've, I've come to realize that this is a uh, one of those multi-level um, uh, situations that you kind of have to dig into. And I'm, I'm seeing there's actually uh, at the highest level, there's often a culture that uh, favors yes over no, and it can be the corporate culture. Like I said, this company that I work with has a beautiful culture. They actually live the words that they have on the wall. And you and I both know that that's a fairly rare situation. And even within that, that there's this culture of yes and this um, predisposition to say yes, coupled by the fact that then we've got a, a herd of agilists who are saying, that's really good. Yes, and yes, and yes, and. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a culture issue. Then in working with a, a number of product owners, what I realized is yes is really easier to say when you don't have your house in order to have the conversation that could lead to no. And here's what I mean. 
is if your backlog is in a disarray, your priorities are whacked out and you've got, you know, stories just, you know, laying all over the place because you haven't taken the time or had the time or, or things are shifting so quickly, your backlog isn't in order, you are not ready to have the conversation that would go along the lines of, Dave, I know you want us to add this story to the next sprint. Let's see where it fits in the into the priorities of the backlog. Uh, yeah, if I don't have a good well-groomed backlog ready to have that conversation, it's easier to say yes than for you to know that my world is a mess. So that's the second thing is I may not be ready to have the conversation. And then the third one and the big aha was it's a skill set issue. And it's a skill set issue in terms of knowing when to say, no, not now, no, unless we explore some options and no, not ever hit the road, Jack. And a lot of people think that no only means that last one, when in reality, in Angela especially, it's probably no, not now, let's talk about it, and then we need to have a conversation. The other piece of that is also being able to coach the receiver of the no. So if you're gonna do give a, give a no, you need to sometimes be able to frame it and position it and coach the other person person to understand it so that they can take it and they don't take it as a personal rejection exactly so i have a different kind of problem with this so i i tend to say yes to too many things like you could ask me to help out with something and i can know in my head i can't possibly do this like i have way too much to do i'm totally overburdened but this sounds so freaking awesome hell yeah sign me up like i can't I'm like a kid in front of candy. Like I can't say no because I get excited and I want to do stuff, which I guess is the same things a lot of companies do. Um, how do you talk people down off that ledge? Well, one one thing that I recommend is that people really have an understanding of their own personal backlog and their own personal web. And if they need to uh, get into the habit for a certain amount of time of saying, I love this idea. Let me check my calendar. I love this idea. Let me see how this works. Yeah. And basically buy yourself some time and sit down and have that um, objective look at your commitments and see where does this fit into it? Because sometimes, kind of play product owner for yourself for a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Because sometimes okay. you get an offer of something and it really is so amazingly awesome that what you need to do is figure out how to shift some other things so that you can do it. Okay. Cool. This is awesome. So this is going to be on Halloween in Dublin. <laughs> Trick or treat. Yes. <laughs> Will you be in costume? I don't even know if they do Halloween in Ireland. Do they do they do it over there? I don't know if they do or not. My husband says no, but I have heard uh, some British folks talk about doing it. So I think uh, crazy Americans may be exporting. Dressing up anyway. Yeah. Everyone can dress up like Donald Trump. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> cool. So they can see you in Dublin on, on October 31st at 11 a.m. Or they can see you. Let me scroll back up uh, at the Agile Conference. you got one session on Wednesday the 9th at 1045 and another one on the 10th at 1045. And hopefully you'll be able to find time to do a video podcast interview as well. What if they want to sign up for um, the classes that you and Kim are doing, the training from the back of the room classes? Where should they go and do that? So they should go to um, the bowperson dot 
net, I think it is, or bowperson.com, Sharon Bowman's site. So Google okay. uh, training from the back of the room. Look at the well, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes for us. So Very sure cool. Get to Thank it you. Um, one last question. Do you have time for one more? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So you've been to the Agile conference before, and it is a long, grueling week. And one of the things I always try to do, you know, if, if I meet somebody who's going for the first time is to offer some advice about self-care and maintenance because it's easy to just get wrecked, you know, just burned out by the second or third day, and then you don't get any value out of the end of the conference. Um, so first I want to ask, are you more of an introvert or an extrovert? I am sitting absolutely on the fence. Okay. So what, what kind of things do you do or what advice would you give to somebody who is, who is of a similar temperament? Um, when they go to an event like this, how do you protect yourself and protect your ability to get value out of the week, I guess is a better way to say it. So one of the things I do before I get on a plane and travel to the conferences, I think about what are my intentions for the conference? You know, what is it that I'd like to get out of it? Is it meeting a new person, learning something about a very specific topic, whatever that is. And it's, and, and it really comes down to, you know, pick maybe two things that are, boy, this is, this is what I want out of this. I want to meet someone new who you know, can help me in a particular area, whatever it is. So okay. I'm really clear about what it is that I want. I also look at um, the program ahead of time and I look at who's speaking and what are they up to and I reach out sometimes to uh, a speaker or you know if I've, I've heard that somebody's going to be there that, that I admire and would like to learn from and I make a make a lunch uh, appointment or a breakfast appointment or something like that so I think one of the ways that I balance the craziness is a combination of the humanity of what 2,500 agilists all, you know, in a room at the same time drinking beer with more one-on-one, let's go sit in a corner and chat about something types of things. Okay. Uh, So that's something that I do. And I, uh, I get my sleep. So one of the things that I think could make you crazy is literally there's something going on 24 seven. And if you walk down to the bar at three o'clock in the morning, I'm pretty sure that you and I could name at least the people who are probably going to be sitting there. I'd probably be there. (laughs) I'm one of those people like wondering why the bar is not still open. Yeah. That would definitely be me. There you go. So, so it's clear that if you know Dave Pryor is on your list of interesting people to connect with at Agile 2017, um, there is 24 hours in the day to make an appointment to buy you a beer. Yeah. Now there's 20. I sleep for about four hours a night when I'm there. Yeah. Um, but that I think it is. I mean, maintaining your sanity, however you do it, is a really big part of that week. Because otherwise you can't, like in the when I first started going to stuff like that, I couldn't get any value out of the second half of the conference because I was just shot from yeah. the first half. Yeah. Uh, and, cool. And I think it's important to take time to go to the, uh, the, go talk to the vendors and have a conversation and be open to what emerges because sometimes the thing, there will be possibly one 15 minute something that happens that is career changing, life changing, perspective changing, makes the yeah. week, makes the conference and everything else was just part of what led up to that. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. All right. So if, if people want to track you down, they can go to radtac 
com or they can follow you on Twitter at Laura Powers. The what about the podcast? Do you want to plug that real quick before we? So, um, so Paul Weinia and I are doing a podcast on agile games, and we took a little bit of a break, mostly because uh, we were both chasing and hurting a whole bunch of other cats. So we're back now, and a new podcast for agile games will be coming out uh, in the next probably week or so. And then I also am starting a second one because if one is good, two is better. Because um, you can't say no either. <laughs> um, so it's called NLP or Agile. And it's about oh, cool. neuro-linguistic programming and the use of communication in Agile. So I have a partner who's, who is a certified scrum master just because he was curious to learn what the heck I do. But he's actually a master hypnotist and a uh, master trainer of NLP. And he and I have just wow. a blast with that and actually i think dave it's going to be a video podcast because he's like how can we do this if it's only video and we're talking about things that are visual at times so that's uh, awesome yeah cool all right so i'll include a link to that as well to, to both podcasts um and any any other way that people should get in contact with you or is that pretty much oh that covered? that's pretty that's pretty comprehensive so all right cool so Thank you very much, and ho and hopefully I'll see you. Well, definitely I'll see you in two weeks. But folks can check you out at the Agile Conference or the classes you're doing before or in Dublin. Awesome! Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm.